right, this is episode number 41 of the Art of Med School, where we help creative minds understand medicine. Today, we are talking about the common cold, things I've learned about being singlish again, and functioning versus non-functioning tumors. Maybe it's cold outside. Well, actually, it's it's not cold down here. In fact, I just got back from a run because I'm trying to be healthy, and I had to sit outside until I quit sweating, and it took probably about a half hour. But depending on where you're at, it's probably cold, and so we're going to do the common cold. So let's talk about the cold season and who's doing it and why. So... Rhinovirus is the most common cause. It's 30 to 50% of colds are caused by the rhinovirus. Uh, coronavirus, the second most common cause, 10 to 15%. Interesting side note, coronavirus also causes SARS and Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. So since rhinovirus is the majority of, of colds, we'll talk about that one. It's a virus, obviously, in the name. It's non-envelope, so it doesn't have any kind of structure around it, to keep, which you would think would keep it safe. But the envelope is more susceptible to environmental factors. So actually being non-enveloped makes it, make, makes it hardier. It has a linear single strand of RNA inside of it. It's positive sense, which means that uh, it can go ahead and just replicate on its own. And it does have an uh, like an icosahedral capsid, like a I don't know, kind of like a uh, six sided die shaped uh, capsule. Would be six sided? Would be eight? I'm not even sure. Kind of looks like a diamond. All that stuff. Let's be real. Probably only the med students care, maybe even understand. But hopefully, uh, you know, a little interesting for the rest. So the important things to the rest of us: transmission is primarily respiratory droplets. So straight up, person to person, getting passed back and forth. However, it can also live on what's called fomites. Fomites are just contaminated surfaces. What happens is it goes into the upper respiratory tract and it binds with the epithelial cells there through something called ICAM-1. The epithelial cells express ICAM-1, which is kind of like a receptor, and then the uh, rotavirus attaches to that. So it can spread without killing the cells. But it does cause inflammation, and that inflammation actually increases the ICAM-1 expression. So because you're getting the, the inflammation and, and the, uh, that, I mean, that's coming from your um, uh, immune, immune response, it's actually making it easier for it to spread to, to a certain degree. So why the upper respiratory tract? This is actually, I think, really interesting. It prefers to replicate at 33 degrees Celsius. So it doesn't want to move down because the further it goes down in your respiratory tract, the warmer it's going to get. Also interesting to note, no GI symptoms. Why was that? Because the rhinovirus is uh, acid labile, and that means that it doesn't survive in acid very well. It's susceptible, susceptible to it, so it can't survive in the GI tract to cause any kind of symptoms down there. You know, that's that's different than a lot of the, the other, I mean, rhinovirus is a picornavirus, and there's other picornaviruses that are acid-stable, like hepatitis, um, Coxsackie A and B. Those are all acid-stable. Poliovirus is another one. And so since they're acid-stable, they, they can infiltrate the GI system and, and cause problems down there. 
And last, why is there no treatment for the common cold? I feel like this comes up all the time. We've got so much advancements in medical science and can't even treat the common cold. Well, here's the deal. Rhinovirus has over a hundred different serotypes. So no one virus or no one vaccine would be able to, to take care of all of them. We would actually need more on the order of a hundred vaccines in order to fight the common cold. And that's just for the 30 to 50%. That's the rhinovirus. You also have the coronavirus and a few other ones that, that cause the common cold as well. So that's why we have no treatment for the rhinovirus. Make sure, you know, it's the season. Good hand washing and making sure to sneeze or cough into your elbow, not your hands. Don't cough into your hands. Don't sneeze into your hands. Cover your mouth by doing it into the crook of your arm, and that's going to help reduce the amount of transmission. And just make sure to keep clean. And, you know, a little vitamin C goes a long way. That is the cold. Make sure you check us out on artofmedschool.com. We have a ton of more information, blog posts, any of our past episodes that you might have missed, as well as some really fun underwater photography that Mike has been working on. There's some cute photos of fish. So check us out on artofmedschool.com. So uh, this is all about things that I have learned by being singlish again. Um, obviously, I'm not single, and I'm very happily in a relationship, and it's really great. But uh, and and it's really easy to focus on all of the crappy parts, you know. But you know, I think I've kind of grown a lot as a person by being independent. Again, um, and being independent is always something that I very strongly, uh, that I've always strongly identified with and that I've held as being a priority of like, I don't need no man to carry anything for me and blah, 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 blah. But like, um, it's, it's reawakened this, this, this independence. And, um, and I think that just in general, I am finding myself being more confident that I'm super confident in my ability to be good at my job. And I think this one's the clincher. And I I was just thinking about this today. I was talking to Micah about this today. And I think this is like the big thing. Okay. Are you ready? I am really confident in my relationship in what is and is not my responsibility. Okay, so previously, uh, when we were living together, if Micah was like sad or pissed off about something, I immediately defaulted to being like, "Oh my god, it's my fault! What did I do? How do I how do I fix it for him?" And like, blah blah blah. That I would take responsibility, and 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 now now I am. No, not so much. Mostly because we've, there's, you know, there is the fact that we have removed the the reason that uh, he would be mad at me for a lot of things because there's a lot of that day-to-day stuff that he isn't uh, cranky at me for. Uh, mostly because I am not the tidiest of housekeepers. Uh, that, you know, he's not mad at me for, you know, 
leaving my shoes around where people walk and not noticing or, you know, coming home and putting all of the things that I arrived with right in the middle of the floor that I totally don't notice and, you know, leaving half drink coffee cups all around the house because he doesn't see those things anymore and it's kind of awesome. And what's interesting about that fact is that I don't do those things so much anymore. I still do the half drink coffee cup thing. But I'm better at noticing them and then picking them up later as opposed to like being like, doop a doop, there's nothing wrong. Um, so anyway, we've removed all of those like day to day things that he would be cranky about me for because he's not here to see when I do those things. Um, and so if he's cranky for the most part, like I'll know if I've done something wrong, like, I forgot to pay all of the bills, and so he's legitimately angry at me, or you know, which I don't do. But you know, for example, um, that that I I know now that there's a concrete thing that he might be mad at me for, and you know, which is usually me not you know holding my end on a on a on an obligation that I said I was going to follow through on. But so if he's mad about something or pissed off or frustrated or cranky or whatever, I know that it's not my fault and I don't have to fix it because often, uh, at least the way our relationship works, if I try to fix it and I didn't break it, then it's usually one more stressful thing that he doesn't want to have to deal with, you know? And so it usually makes it worse of like, oh my gosh, how do I help you? Blah, 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 blah. He's like, you can probably help me by uh, giving me some time to actually do the studying because that's what I'm stressed out about because I need to, uh, I've got all of this work to do and no time to do it. And so, you know, giving him his time to be able to do that is usually going to be the best thing. Um, and so, I, you know, then like to, you know, throw in words of encouragement here and there, but knowing that like, yeah, no holding, knowing what is, is not my responsibility in his emotions has been something that I've really learned. And I think that's, I think that's going to help us out and help me out a lot here in the future. Um, and so yeah, I don't know. The The other big thing that I have learned in this process is how to rely on other people who are not in this relationship, that I am getting a lot better at asking other people for help when I'm usually not very good at that because of that independence thing that I was talking about. So I don't know. Those are a few of the things that I've learned about being singlish again. Most of them are about being really confident and learning my independence, but also knowing when I need to ask for help. launch our patreon account please go check it out you can find a link on our website or just look up art of med school on patreon.com this is a great way to support us as we work hard to make the most and best content possible you can find more information on our homepage at artofmedschool.com and every little bit helps thanks 
Right. So a few weeks ago, I had shared some positive and negative feedback stuff that I had covered with the uh, TA lecture I, or the physiology lecture that I had given. Uh, but I noticed there was a few things in my notes that I didn't get a chance to. Actually, there was a lot of stuff that we covered in that class that we didn't cover. Like we talked about hypothyroidism versus hyperthyroidism, all, a few different examples of those, hyperparathyroidism, GLUT4 and other GLUT receptor or transporters, all sorts of stuff. But there is something that um, I thought would be of interest to uh, to you that is not quite as nerdy medical or probably not as specific as really what it is i think sometimes i get detailed which obviously we need to be detailed but not always interesting for you guys um so there's two things that we talked about that i really wanted to bring back up the first was the concept of tumors so we've we've talked about neoplasias and tumors and stuff like that i believe we did um yeah we did might have been on the blog anyway so tumors kind of work in two ways. There's, they're either functional or they're non-functional. And the really, really good one that I like to use to illustrate this difference is the pituitary adenoma. So uh, a tumor in the, of the pituitary gland. If you're not sure where that's at, picture your brain. And there's a little part that's going to overhang, like kind of overhang your eye area you know the the what's right behind your forehead and nestled in there in that crook that it makes is the pituitary gland so we talked about me and these students we talked about what would happen if you have a functional tumor of the pituitary gland a functional pituitary adenoma so a yeah, okay, we did talk about this in, in, on the podcast because I remember us talking previously, maybe you don't remember, about how a, a neoplasm or cancer is basically unchecked growth of some kind of cell. So in a pituitary adenoma, if it's functioning, it's going to be unchecked growth of one of the cells that releases a hormone. Okay, so we've got all of a sudden all these these cells releasing, uh, well, let's say prolactin. We have all these cells releasing prolactin, no, uh, prolactin, and the prolactin levels in the body spikes, and uh, that's called a prolactinoma because it's a tumor of or a cancer of the the prolactin cells. It's actually the most common functional tumor of the pituitary gland. So because we have so much prolactin floating around, we have galactorrhea, which is, is basically too much milk getting, um, getting produced. And that can actually even happen in guys. That guys start to have a, a discharge. Uh, there's amenorrhea, which is losing the period because of unchecked prolactin levels. Uh, because we're making so much milk, that takes a lot of calcium. So we're going to have a decrease in bone density. All of these things are happening because of a functional tumor in the pituitary, a prolactinoma. So it's releasing these hormones unchecked. Now, the flip side of that is you can have a non-functional tumor. So again, using the pituitary gland as an example, say it's a cell or it's it's mutated enough or differentiated, non-differentiated enough, I guess, um, that it's not actually producing a hormone. Well, if it's not producing a hormone, often that's benign, you know, which is cool, uh, but but it still has uh, a significant effect because of just the sheer fact that you've got so many extra cells trying to pack in to this area that they're not meant to be in. And that's a non-functioning tumor, right? So 
underneath the pituitary gland is your optic what's well, your optic chiasm which is part of your optic nerves and they, they actually crisscross so that you have some optic nerves and this, this is kind of wild half of the nerves the optic nerves in your left eye stay on the left side of your brain and half go to the right side and the same is true for the reverse so half of your optic tract actually crisscrosses in the middle of your brain underneath the pituitary gland. That's called your optic chiasm. So since you have all these extra cells being produced above your optic chiasm, uh, because of this tumor, it's going to start compressing that optic chiasm. And you get what's called bitemporal hemianopia. So temporal being, you know, like your temples, bi being two or both, bi-temporal, both temples, hemianopia. Anopia is that you can't see, and hemi is half. So you can't see the, the it's like your, your, what would you say, your peripheral vision. So like in a test or whatever, they'll talk about someone has no problem seeing people in front of them, but they almost got hit by a car as they were trying to cross the street. Well, that's because they couldn't see out of the periphery of their vision. You also obviously have stuff like headaches and, and a buildup of pressure and stuff like that. But that's all because of the sheer size of that tumor. It's not releasing any hormones. It's not doing anything. It's just existing. But that's a non-functioning tumor causing those issues. And that's the difference between a non-functioning tumor and a functioning tumor. That was episode number 41 of the Art of Med School, where we help creative minds understand medicine. Today we talked about the common cold, things I've learned by being singlish again, and functioning versus non-functioning tumors. Our theme music, Urbanimatronica Woo Ya Mix by Spinning Mercata, is copyright 2011, licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License. This show is not affiliated or endorsed in any way by St. James School of Medicine. Micah just goes there. The Art of Med School podcast is part of the Art of Med School Network. For more information, find us on the web at artofmedschool.com. 